0: You are looking live.
1: I don't believe what I just saw! Yeah.
2: There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! Unbelievable! Believe in miracles.
0: Yes! Live from the state of hockey. There we go. Kind of. It's the two five two sports talk radio. Is done by academics like me, history professor Chris Garrett's him, Chris Moore, and him,
3: Sam Mulberry,
0: and that's it this time. No, no guest stars. Sarah Shady did great last time, and I'm worried she's going to bump me for my spot as co-host if this goes on too long. Uh, we've got a couple of more guests coming into our second segment. Mm-hmm. We brought back a couple of Bethel students, a couple of our students, right. honestly. To talk about a sport that we've glancingly addressed but never really dedicated much time to, we're going to talk hockey. With Bethel seniors Logan Olson and Andrew Swart Who are both former hockey players and current hockey fans Right a Pretty knowledgeable and serious Give us a little
2: expert analysis on the state of NHL hockey And the systems of hockey that lead up to it
0: Exactly I think it will echo some conversations we've had about other sports But also get at what's distinctive about that particular sport
2: Right um, But why don't we kick off our first
0: segment by asking Sam Where are three to see worth the watch?
3: Uh, sure. I said that we should be watching the kind of young stars of the Eastern Conference. And young is sort of 27 NBA or playoffs we're talking. Yeah, about. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the, the top four seeds all closed out their series uh, in the last couple days. So uh, Giannis uh, Atentacumpo averaged uh, twenty-six over 26 points a game. Joel Embiid averaged over 24 a game, over 13 rebounds. Ben Simmons, uh, 17 points six rebounds seven assists Kawhi Leonard averaged over 27 a game and uh Kyrie Irving averaged uh 22 and eight basically uh so the big thing is I was thinking the this is the first time since since LeBron was originally on the Cavs that we're gonna see a non-LeBron team in the Mm -hmm. playoffs from the east so it's uh Bucks versus Celtics Raptors versus 76ers.
0: It's also interesting to see how much power is shifting to the East. Now, I mean, you still have the Warriors in the way. You have good teams in the West, but like, right. I mean, for a while, we were seriously talking about realignment, reseeding, because right. it was so disproportionate in one direction. Right. But with a couple of you know free agency and trades, we actually have some really interesting teams and players in the East. Yeah.
2: Sam, so, so I have a question for you. Maybe, yeah. And if you don't know the answer to this, I'm, I'm happy to just let you speculate. But is the, is the loss of LeBron in the playoffs? A bigger economic hit or is the ascension of some of these young players compensating for LeBron sitting out of the playoffs?
3: I think the bigger thing is the LeBron not being in the East. Okay. Because if LeBron had made the playoffs with the Lakers, the West is still fun because they wouldn't be the top team in the West. No. So so I actually don't so I I'm not sure that it matters that much. What matters is the lane is cleared for something new in the East, and the East is ready for that something new. Mm-hmm. I mean, had LeBron in 2010 gone to the Lakers then, mm-hmm. the East would not have had much. He needed to stay in the East. He went West at a time when the East is ready. Yep. So, okay. so I think that's... Uh, that's when, so I'm going to say that they're, they're worth the watch, and really they're worth the watch going forward. Uh, do, you a, do you
2: have an Eastern Conference pick, Sam? Um,
3: <laughs> I, I would actually love to see the Sixers... I don't. Think, I'm not saying it's going to be, yeah. them, but I would love to see that. I think. What, I think the Bucks would be really fun. Too. What, yeah.
0: What would be the best? Maybe it doesn't matter. What would be the best for the future of the NBA in terms of like showcasing young talents, uh, creating the, new
3: narratives, whatever. Bucks. Uh, the, the Bucks. If we really do see Giannis like <coughs> jump three more levels, yeah. in, you know, in the next month or so, that the, would be the, the
2: Bucks big. picked up my Pistons and dropped them from orbit. It was right. yeah. It was humiliating. Well, another thing
0: about that, and we might talk about this more. The the hockey folks I mean, there is. Much as we've talked about dynasties off and on this season, there is something about you know any team can rise, and like even a small market, cold weather team like Milwaukee Bucks could actually ascend um, in the NBA.
3: Yeah, and it's because it, you can if you hit on one player, and that player has some loyalty to that place, that's kind of what you need, and they can go from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Moore said that we should watch the NCAA championships in men's and women's gymnastics. Oklahoma won the women's championship, finishing the year with a perfect 32-0 record. Oklahoma's men's team entered the weekend on a 21 meet winning streak. I don't know—is it a meet or a match? I I don't know. Uh, But Stanford broke that streak to take the men's championship. A highlight of the uh, of the championships was LSU's McKenna Kelly uh, had a 9.95 on the floor. Does anybody know why that's significant? McKenna, Kenney, McKenna Kelly is oh, the daughter the of Mary Lou Retton. Yes. So, I actually
0: did watch the last 20 minutes of the women's because I was at my in-laws and they have cable and we don't. So we watched a lot of women's gymnastics. At, it was a very interesting scoring system to watch because Oklahoma had finished its rotation. And then all these others were still doing like one or two routines. But I forget how they counted. But like, so it looked like, oh, they just have like 20 more points. to, And they really couldn't catch up. But yeah. it was a foregone yeah. conclusion. But it's kind of cool, to, mm-hmm. see, still it, cool to, to
3: see Mary Lou Retton's daughter uh, almost get a perfect 10 on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Geertz said that we should watch the NHL playoffs Uh, St. Louis Blues closed out their series against the Winnipeg Jets four games to two on Saturday with a 3-2 victory did you watch this Chris?
0: I didn't watch that I watched one other game that I'll talk about in a moment so I can't tell you if that was worth the watch or not uh, Three to two, just, like just to kind of
3: troll our, our guests in segments yeah. too, i I'm going to say not worth it. Yeah, St. Louis. Because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. all not had the so opportunity routine. and chose not to. <laughs> yep. That's right. All right. Uh, now, I think I suggested that because at that
0: point last Wednesday, that was the only series that was actually two to two. Um, as it's happened, two other NHL series in this first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs actually did go to seven. The Boston Bruins closed out the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think that was not a great game. That was like a five to one game. The other game was pretty amazing. San Jose, the Sharks, were down at home three to nothing, and came back to win five four in overtime because they scored four goals on a single dubious major penalty, and then actually won in overtime, uh, and they beat the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh so that was definitely worth I watched the game six of that. and That was also a good overtime game. Uh, but it kind of
2: harkens back to our conversation about uh, refs deciding games.
0: Uh, it indeed it does. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that more later. But speaking about Las Vegas, uh, we're going to talk more about the hockey part in a few minutes. Let's shove yep. that analysis off for the moment because mm-hmm. I think we've reached the end of what we can contribute. <laughs> but... Las Vegas does remind me, we keep meaning to have a conversation about gambling and sports. I, I was listening back to our episode last week, and the first segment, I even kind of said, hey, we're going to talk about gambling once we talk about horse racing and talk to Sam. And we never actually made it there, because that conversation went some other interesting directions. So maybe I'll just start there. like um is that like What I think I understand this, but like, how important is gambling to the appeal of horse racing? I I imagine you'd hmm. still have people interested in all the
3: things you talked about. But the not, other layer is the gambling. I'm not part. sure it would exist on any kind of level without gambling, because it is. It's it, now there's gambling on everything. I mean, you can mm-hmm. gamble on Game of Thrones if you want, True. even though that is a fictional <laughs> scripted series. You can gamble on that, but. If horse racing is and I w- is one of those uh, um, sporting events that when you go to it, up front it's about gambling, mm-hmm. you know where mm-hmm. you can gamble on a basketball game, but you can also go to a basketball game and have no sense that there's people with money on mm-hmm. the line. Uh, horse racing, like that's kind of it's pretty central. So it's sort of weird, and I don't know that I said this officially last time. So I want to be clear to anyone, <laughs> like an employer of mine listening, like I love horse racing. I don't gamble on horse racing. You can enjoy
0: this apart from the gambling, right? Right. But, but, but
3: that that puts me in a in a weird spot. Like right. like like I'm I'm an uh, an outlier in terms of that. Like I don't think there's. I think that is a sport that exists primarily for that.
0: And I think I mean my limited sense of horse like always has. Oh yeah yeah. Right? yeah I mean yeah. and so like. I wonder, though, how distinctive horse racing is. Like, gambling has always been a part of every sport because mm-hmm. it gives you unknown outcomes that you can guess at the risk at and you, mm-hmm. can, and you can place bets on. I'm not sure, like, it was, uh, um, it was a prerequisite to the development of any other sport in the way that it was for a horse racing or maybe kind of similar sorts of sure. racing. I mean, like, I think you would have had baseball develop. Even without gambling. I mean, like, I don't know if it would have taken off to the level it did. Like, I don't think we realize how much gambling was a part of the game of baseball. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, up into the Black Sox scandal and not just the Black Sox scandal. But, like, baseball had other sources of interest, other sources of revenue, um, other boxing? kinds of fan loyalty, maybe boxing. I, I mean, I, I don't. It doesn't have maybe the same kind of culture around it. Like, I mean, yeah. there's this whole language of mm-hmm. gambling specific to horse racing or parimutuel horse racing.
3: Is
2: it fair to say that for all of these things, uh, gambling is a para- is a catalytic effect? Um, yeah. And it doesn't necessarily make a sport, but it causes a sport to be to to to. to, to um, morph in certain kinds of ways as a consequence of the game.
3: Right, and, and I, I also think... It, we, were, we talked about this um, last week a, a little bit in terms of like the big events in horse racing or auto racing that you may have somebody who's not a NASCAR fan but they might watch the Daytona 500 uh, or mm-hmm. an IndyCar fan might watch the Indy 500 but nothing else. A horse racing fan might watch the Kentucky Derby but nothing else. Um, but what what makes a, a sporting event or excuse me, what makes a sport really dig deep uh, into the consciousness is when people who are casual fans find ways to be invested in it. Mm -hmm. So something like the way the Internet made fantasy football – Really easy to do because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I played fantasy football back in high school, and it was the commissioner had to have a subscription to USA Today or right. some other newspaper yep. that had clear stats because that became the sort of paper of record, mm-hmm. and everything was done on hand or maybe on a spreadsheet on an Apple III, <laughs> right? But, but, but like you, you had to wait to find out if you won it, and and so like it was the bar to entry was kind of high because maybe it was hard to be that interested because you didn't get the immediate fix mm-hmm. where the internet has made fantasy football really popular. So there are people who have no interest in football but are maybe even part of an office. My wife has played fantasy football before. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like football, but she, we did it as like a charity thing in our, uh, mm-hmm. amongst our family, and she had a team. So it's like so she all of a sudden became slightly more interested in whether this player scored a touchdown or yep. not or mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it does have the effect of getting, uh, broadening the, the fan base of a sport.
0: Um, At the same time, it also has the potential effect of alienating another kind of fan base. So you mentioned you you felt like you had to be very careful to say you do not actually gamble because we all three work at an institution where we have signed a statement saying, among other things, we will not gamble. Right. Right. And so, I mean, this is one thing that we've, again, kind of flirted with but not talked a lot about is uh, Christianity's relationship with sports. And I would say, historically, like if we went back a hundred years, the two biggest biggest concerns among lots of different kinds of Christians, you know, but certainly the kind of like, mainline Protestants who predominate at the time, less so Catholics, but also fundamentalists and Baptists, would be um, Sabbath play, you know, meaning mm-hmm. that you are you are you are profaning the Lord's day, a day that is not meant for work, that is not meant for entertainment, is being used for a spectacle. And for a kind of labor mm-hmm. that's gone away right, mm-hmm. to the point where Bethel hosts like softball doubleheaders on Sunday. Right. And there is no concern. If I told this to the students in our class next year, I assume some will be shocked by this and never have given a second. Which thought. actually means
2: we probably should talk about it.
0: We will definitely talk about it. But so that's gone away. Right. Like Christians, for the most part, have made their peace with this. Gambling, I think, is different. I mean, that has always been a concern. I mean, there's something, and maybe, I don't even know if it's really theological. Pardon me, suspects this is a kind of a cultural concern or mm-hmm. it's like a misspent time kind mm-hmm. of thing. But that, at least for some Christian traditions, has never gone away. And we still live in a sporting, I mean, a very active sporting culture mm-hmm. that does not permit gambling. Mm mm-hmm. um, So I I don't know where I was really headed with a question with this necessarily, except to say maybe, like, do we expect that to be true in 50 years? Because there's been another pressure, which is for a long time, that kind of religious or maybe ethical concern was backed up by laws banning gambling. Right. But we're seeing that change, right? Like, we we are Mm -hmm. seeing the beginnings of a wider legalization of gambling. So you won't have... Um, uh, legal backing to cultural norms. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, at the same time, remaining aware that gambling itself is a socially pernicious condition Mm -hmm. and plenty of people become uh, addicted to gambling. Uh. But,
0: I mean, it's, don't you think it's going to become something like the lottery, where we say that, and we'll probably give some of those proceeds towards uh, Gamblers Anonymous and recovery sure. programs, but the state will also benefit from it. It becomes another way to drive revenue apart from taxation. Exactly. I mean, like, isn't that the likely outcome with mm-hmm. most? I forget how many states have now followed and legalized sports gambling. Yeah, I
3: mean, it's interesting to think about a place like Bethel. Like, you could see legalized gambling uh, kind of, Moving into a, you could, ones would be to say, like, well, there's going to be this sort of cultural drift towards a general acceptance of it. Or you mm-hmm. could see the opposite, which is this makes it so much more prevalent that it's easier to kind of put your flag in the ground mm. against something. Because, I mean, it's sort of like like we're all opposed to things that are illegal, to mm-hmm. lots of things that are illegal, and that's not hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's hard and maybe important is to put your flag in the ground against things that are perfectly legal oh. in society, but maybe um, don't define your moral sense of things. I don't think
0: it's eight. I mean, like, if I think about 1960s Bethel culture and the kind mm-hmm. of holiness code that existed here, some of that is I mean, now seems almost unimaginable. There were expectations... At least informal, if not formal, against dancing, mm-hmm. and
3: that didn't really go away until just before I arrived. Yeah, when right. I was a student here, there there was no Bethel sponsored dances there are yep. now, and there yeah there were lots yeah. Well, and uh, also in the, uh, like,
0: I've heard at least in the '60s, you know, attending most Hollywood movies, going to theater, you know, that's gone away. And like in a sense, now that almost seems kind card of point playing yeah, play, playing cards yeah, playing with cards. a standard
3: like poker card deck, which I mean, is why Rook is, was a popular. In game. other ways,
0: you could say a place like Bethel. Has been kind of ahead of society. Like, there's been a smoking ban for a long time. You know, we're actually moving for other reasons in society towards that. I mean, just mm-hmm. in the news this morning, Minnesota is considering raising the smoking age to 21. Mm-hmm. And there's significant pressure um, against this. And then in other ways, like there are places where places like Bethel want to plant the flag and say, no, this actually helps demarcate us from the rest of the world. And, you know, right now we talk a lot about sexuality. Mm -hmm. Used to be drinking, probably less so now, but still partly there. And I wonder what gambling will look like. Anyway, I thought about legalization because uh, in doing research for this show, and I spent a lot of time (laughs) doing research for this show, um, I wanted (laughs) to look up something else. And uh, I found it at an ESPN sub-site called The Chalk Sam, I'm going to go look at you and guess that you know what the chalk is. I don't. This is the gambling website at ESPN.com. Can you I, get it at Bethel? Well, I was in a coffee shop okay. near to Bethel, but I don't <laughs> know if I could get it at Bethel. But anyway, it, I mean, it's 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 odd, but it's also kind of sports journalism about gambling. And so the lead story at ESPN's The Chalk was not about any of the sports we've talked about, but about the television game show Jeopardy. Yes! current champion... Uh, has won over a million dollars in 14 days, pending mm-hmm. today's outcome. He and he, uh, he makes enormous bets. Wins. He's broken the record multiple Can times. Can I give some stats
2: on this? Please do. Um, <clears throat> James Holzhauer, Holzhauer um, has won 14 games, In those 14 games, he's amassed a jackpot of one million sixty-one thousand five hundred and fifty-four dollars. Um, that is uh, roughly a um, a per I- a per. Um, episode average of $77,000 which is um, two to three times more than what a typical champion wins in, in an episode. He has um, he does this primarily by betting big on the daily double questions uh, where he earns an average of almost $10,000 per daily double But question. also by going
0: for the bigger dollar figures right Correct. away. Not building incrementally Correct. like the usual strategies.
2: So he's, he combines both a gambler's mentality with an excellent Jeopardy approach. He's Ant- Oh, and he is a gambler. Like that was what he's he building for. Like
0: this is actually his profession is yes. gambler, right? So I mean, he has some other skills and knowledge that he brings to it, but partly it's you know, he's taking his day job and making it his avocation. Yes, or maybe this is his day job. I don't know how he views it
2: necessarily. Well, he pulled in a million dollars in fourteen episodes, so this right is his day job now. So
0: uh, we could keep talking about gambling, but I also thought if we have if we can do this in like three minutes, at least mm-hmm. a first pass at a question that again we have flirted with many times: what is sport? Yeah. Like we are now talking about Jim
2: Holzhauer. is he an, is he a, is this a sport? Is right. Jeopardy
0: a sport? Um, so do you want to make the case for or against?
2: Chris? I want to take four. Okay, go for it. All right. So um, is, this a, is this a more or less?
0: Wow, it kind of is growing into one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> not really. I think, I think that um, that game shows that don't just rely on uh, chance, game shows that rely on some kind of skill of the of the contestants. Probably should be thought of as sport, and I'm going to include in that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go wide here. So in terms of what I mean by game show, so I would include things like Jeopardy for sure, but probably Wheel of Fortune um, because there's a certain sk- vocabulary skill set that mm-hmm. goes along with that. But also things like American Ninja Warrior um, mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe even Survivor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, th- there's th- the competitive aspect of this, clearly defined rule set implies that there's a certain sport to this. So,
0: I mean, so like, as we think about a definition, we've got it, we've got competition. Yes. We've got, um, in a sense, a playing field defined by rules, right? So Correct. We are all bound by the same rules to get to the end result of this competition. Right. You have strategy to reach the competition. Right. To, I mean, to, to win in the competition. Mm-hmm. You've got skill. Yep. Um, and that's where I would like to. And okay. you've also got, I mean, so coming back to gambling, you, you have an uncertain outcome. Correct. Right. I mean, like this could. Get, I mean, this tr- truth could be stranger than fiction mm-hmm. in lots of ways with these with these sports. Yep. Um, I mean, what's something that's close to that that would fail that test? I mean, is the game show? I mean, like, what's a game show that doesn't meet those those standards?
2: Um, some of the games in Prices Right, which are just random selections mm-hmm. as opposed to skill based selections. Although, have you seen crumbly. the documentary,
3: The Perfect Bid? Because that that guy would make the case that that actually is as much of a sport as being. No, really no, good at I tribute. would
2: agree that the fin- the Showcase Showdown. If we're going to go deep in Prices uh, no, no, right but here. I
3: mean the whole the whole game. Like, like he when he have, have you seen this film? I'm out of no, curiosity. I have not. Like, like he breaks down games that you wouldn't think you would think are like well that there is a degree of luck to them mm-hmm. or chance but there is a great de- great degree of skill and knowledge in order to gain a competitive advantage in even the games that seem like games of luck so i'm just saying okay. that there, there is right. an argument to be made for the prices well right?
0: let me let me ask this way uh, so you're talking about game shows uh, is board game playing then a sport if it meets those same criteria
2: well okay so i'll go back to the uh um the documentary style thing here have you have you either seen either of you seen steven fatsis's uh, I think it's a, I think it's a documentary. It's definitely a book on Scrabble. No, um, I have yes. Competitive Scrabble is fascinating, and I think is definitely a sport.
0: Okay, because I mean the obvious rebuff, and I haven't thought enough about this to come up with a really good response to this. Like, um, I get why Survivor is a sport because there is also some degree of athleticism.
4: And I go. do not okay. think
0: moving pieces around or using a, a thumb to click something or I'll go ahead and say playing eSports necessarily there we qualifies... Go.
2: So and chess isn't a sport either. Right. I mean, like
0: is I mean, so like is there a larger category called competition? And sport is a subset of that, but it's not the mm-hmm. same as other kinds of competition.
3: So sport would be athletic competition.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and like I mean, so like now we can have the argument about well, what does that mean? I mean, is it simply a certain level of cardiac activities, a certain mm-hmm. exertion of musculature, is a certain speed, strength? I mean, So the easy one would be something like bowling or curling, right? Because those people do not look like our idea of an athlete because you can be, well, you could even be like a left-handed pitcher, right? I mean, there are certain things, even within things we'd all accept as sports, in which it does not seem like they're special athletic except they possess one athletic skill, right? They're able to do one thing with strength or speed Mm -hmm. or feel, whatever we define as a kind of physical activity that's athletic.
2: Is a professional poker player who's able to moderate their blood pressure and moderate their heartbeat, uh, is, is that enough of an athletic achievement?
0: I, I don't know. Because I also want to say, like, being able to actually move your thumb quickly enough and respond. Mm-hmm. I mean, how is that any different, basically, than a hockey face-off? Well, I mean, Let, me, reflexes, let right? me ask you mm-hmm. a question
3: in a different direction. Or something that's very physical and competitive, but maybe not a sport like... um uh when they're and these are these are historical things like people are trying to achieve first like the first person to summit Mount Everest yeah definitely physical definitely kind of a race to be like who can be the first person Mm -hmm. to do that but is that a sport or is that a sure? Why would mountain climbing up? I'm, I mean, I'm, like, just, I'm just wondering.
0: I guess I would have said my first. Thought like, are is,
3: there rules? Are there like like well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, I mean yeah, that that point. starts
0: to get to be a problem. And it's also it's a competition, but it's not a competition against other people so much as a competition against because the, it's the there, clock, right? Right. Yeah. But I mean that's what actually a lot of uh, you know as the British call athletics, track and field is not. I mean, it kind of is a competition against other people, but you're really trying to set a personal best. Is right. really mm-hmm. the goal or racing history or something right. exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. actually I just wanted a first crack at this question. We can all go back and think. We I kind of want to, to get some feedback from listeners here about this, but this might be something to come back to next week, which I think is going to be our season finale episode, and so, seems like a good capstone. So and, and I, could, I
3: actually, I, I would say, if you're listening to this, one thing I would be really interested in, even if you don't want to take a stab at defining sport, send us things you want us to evaluate yes, on our criteria. That's what I was say. Like, yeah. what are things you would say is this a sport? Uh, maybe sh- we can even do a Facebook thing where sure. people can, yeah, yeah. Give that us your, was a great technological Facebook thing. That's it. what I would like. Give yeah. us your close calls. So
2: things that are barely sports, but, or things that are barely not sports. Okay. So we'll actually have a few things this
0: episode where we'll ask you to weigh in. This is one. And so you can write to us at live from AC Second at gmail.com or you can put a comment on the live from AC Second Facebook page or if we end up creating a poll or something, you'll find your way to that through the Facebook page as well. Alright, I think that's it for segment one. Thanks guys, that was fun. We'll be Thanks. back after a break with talking hockey with Logan and Drew. <laughs>
4: Down, down, so that the can live
2: underground. This week in sports history, Chicago, Illinois, April 24th, 1901. The Chicago White Sox take down the Cleveland Blues, 8-2 in the first game played in the American League, an upstart competitor to the National League, which turned 25 the following day. Fitz Germany, April
0: 25, 2001. A month after winning the 12 Hours of Sebring race, Italian driver Michele Abreto suffers a fatal
2: crash during a test drive at the Lausitz Ring. April 27, 1981, the North American Soccer League hires Betty Ellis, a California school teacher, to work as an official. The first woman to officiate a major league sport, Ellis first appeared on the field two weeks later in front of 25,000 fans in Anaheim. April 29, 1961, the wide world of sports debuts on ABC
0: TV. The first episode featured track and field meets at Drake University and the University of Pennsylvania. Thirty-eight years later, it ended with the championship game of the Little League World Series.
1: Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. The thrill of victory. And the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports.
0: You've been listening to This Week in Sports History. Welcome back to segment two of the 252. Well, it's late April, and that means it's hockey season. Yes, that's right. The Stanley Cup playoffs are well underway. The first round just ended literally last night, and so we thought it's a good point to actually talk about hockey. We've kind of mentioned hockey from time to time, but I'll put it this way. Like, amongst the three of us, am I what passes for a serious hockey fan?
2: I would consider myself a casual hockey fan. Okay,
0: I'm really a casual, and I just feel like because I'm from Minnesota, I'll just act like I know more about hockey than I really do.
2: And so we thought we should actually bring in some real
0: hockey fans. Right. So welcome to the program, Uh, Logan Olson and Andrew Zort. uh, These are two seniors, I Mm -hmm. believe. Uh, Both, I think, are history majors, but also do other things. Logan, you're also doing political science. Yep. Andrew, you're also doing biokinetics. Biokinetics. Biokinetics, right. Okay. So I uh, uh, are serious fans but also former players and so as we start our talking hockey segment uh, as always we like to start with sports stories. so tell us a little bit about your experience as is uh, as, uh, people who played hockey and
1: no longer play hockey. All right yes yeah. so um hockey was always a part of my life growing up uh, my grandmother was a um, professional figure skater um, and that um, skating ability went down to my father who played Division one hockey at West Point and then, I guess that went down to me and my sister. Um, started skating when I was uh, two and a half, and mm. um, and ever since then, hockey was the sole driver of my life. And um, how old were you when you first did competitive hockey? I like? started. I my first probably around six okay. uh, when I lived in Pennsylvania. Is okay. when I, I remember playing my first kind of competitive game mm-hmm. with a bunch of other little hockey players, and um, my dad was kind of refereeing the. the chaos squirts it would have been probably like pre mites at that point um
4: probably probably mites mites,
1: yeah because um in pennsylvania the system is a little bit different than minnesota um so it wasn't as organized as it is here but it was (laughs) still um it was still just a lot of fun to get out there and just there's not a lot of structure when it's just half ice Hmm? a bunch of little kids skating around but um that's kind of my first memory of hockey was in pennsylvania i'm just kind of just kind of waddling around the ice a little bit. And then um, <laughs> I remember moving back from Pennsylvania to Minnesota, um, and that's when hockey got took off for me. Okay, sure. It wasn't as serious in Pennsylvania. It was just something that my dad probably wanted me to do, something to get me out and, you know, be competitive in. And then when I came to back to Minnesota and seeing the, the young talent just in, like, the super mite um, squirts age, that's when I really wanted to take hockey seriously and go all in on it. So mm-hmm. um, Minnesota definitely has that ability to um, – Change the mindset of uh, a young kid, <laughs> um, and then after that, I played um, squirts, pee and Bantams, all for Omega um, Osseo Maple Grove Hockey Association, um, and uh, that was just a lot of fun. And then I played um, a year and a half for um, Osseo High School. Okay, so um, okay. that's uh, my my hockey uh, career ended um, my junior year, and um, but yeah, just it was um, for for the for the first you know fifteen. Um, fourteen years of my life. That was, that was it. Hockey was, um, hockey was everything. So,
0: so maybe we'll come back to the ending. But Drew, it's a similar story with you. Is that about the same age you started? Yeah, you uh, I,
4: I probably started actually about three or four skating, and I think mm-hmm. they had um, what was called clinic, and I started that when I was four. Okay. Um, and then I played up, and I played played through high school. I played high school in Massachusetts, a mm-hmm. uh, small school in Massachusetts. Uh, we played in a state championship, and I just. I, hockey was always my favorite sport. Now Were mm. you both
0: playing other sports as well? I mean, it's a question we've asked athletes yeah. before. Mm-hmm.
4: I played golf pretty competitively. Mm-hmm. Um, I played golf in high school. I played soccer in high school. I played some years on uh, a junior PGA Tour, which sounds a lot uh-huh. better than it actually is. <laughs> um, but I played some competitive golf, and I played just about every sport growing up. So. Mm-hmm. Logan, similar.
1: yeah, uh, Similar story. I um, grew up playing soccer, baseball, um, and then I got into golf a little bit later in life. And then um, I, and going up in the high school, I, I um, quit soccer my freshman year. Um, and then um, when hockey ended, I went into golf. So I played golf um, in high school as well. So, yeah.
0: so one distinctive we have, because we have the two of you here, we've got a Minnesota hockey player and a Massachusetts hockey mm-hmm. player. And yes. So I think one thing that is a little bit unusual about mm-hmm. hockey, among the other major pro sports in the U.S., is it's pretty intensely regional. Mm-hmm. I mean, it yes. started to become a more national sport with the NHL going to the Sun Belt. Um, But, like, Minnesota, Massachusetts, and then, you know, there are a few other hotspots, like Michigan I would take, Maine. But um, are are there significant differences in the way these two states uh, approach sports? I I imagine there's a significant rivalry between the two.
4: Yeah, well, I know – there was – Minnesota has a, has a uh, – I don't know if it's worldwide, but has a national reputation for sure. Um, as the I, state of hockey? As the state of hockey. <laughs> um, and when I – so I moved right before eighth grade, and I remember one of the captains on the hockey team picked me up to take me to a captain's practice the year before. So he was older than me. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you, we heard that there was this kid coming from Minnesota that to be our goalie, and we heard that he was 6'5", and that he was probably going to be going <laughs> Division One." And I'm like I'm so sorry. I was I was probably at the time I was probably all of five two and, and uh, definitely not not going Division One. So um, there was a letdown there. But then even like like I said I got, I was able to play in a state championship. And there were you know there were people there, but it was probably like five or six thousand people mm-hmm. and Massachusetts is considered to be a a pretty strong competitive hockey state mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when you compare it to twenty thousand plus at a Minnesota state high school game, it's just right not on the same level but like
0: uh, college hockey, I don't know how many division one teams are in Massachusetts, but it's oh yeah, I think seven eight
4: yeah there's harvard b c b u northeastern um I think that's it there. Well, I think
0: I, Amherst actually was You're top right. five UMass this year at least. and UMass Worcesters, Lowell actually. Yeah.
4: Um, so yeah, so there are some more. Um, I think there definitely is a competition. Usually the the BC and BU are the only big competitive ones most years. Mm-hmm. There you know there are always some teams that fluctuate. Whereas in Minnesota you get the big rivalries with UMD, mm-hmm. the U of M, Saint Cloud. Right. Um, recent Dakotas. years, Bemidji, the Kepodak Dakotas. Kepodak, okay. um, so, I definitely think there's a big rivalry. And I think it's a little bit of Minnesota versus everybody, but then also Midwest versus the East.
0: Okay. So, uh, let's come to the transition out of hockey. So, a big part of your lives for a long time, amongst other sports, but. Uh, I don't- I think either of you is maybe drew you're playing club hockey i don't know if you Ah, uh, yeah year. i played
4: two years but okay. then i had surgery okay so.
0: so i mean i think if i, I mean, if you don't mind talking about this for both of you i mean i think injuries were part of this you know moving to different levels but logan especially can you talk about having played minnesota high school hockey mm-hmm. you know coming to school that does have you know a division three um you know from time to time competitive hockey program yep. like what was that transition like having spent so much of your childhood and adolescence playing hockey
1: yeah so um like I said earlier, um, playing um, competitive hockey in Minnesota, it's just the, the, the skill level from you know, your top level to your second to third level is just still fantastic hockey. And so um, my freshman year when hockey started to get competitive, I, um, you know, like I said, I quit soccer to give 100% of my time to hockey. And so playing that much hockey opens you up and exposes you to potential injury when you're playing that much. And that's mm-hmm. uh, kind of what happened to me. Um, over a summer, I um, wasn't wearing my mouth guard. So there is a reason to wear your mouth guard. And um, I got my first concussion <clears> when I was um, about 15 years old. And um, in the next six months, I got two more. So um, in six months, I had three concussions. And um, that was my freshman year of uh, high school. And so in Minnesota high sc- in Minnesota hockey, you go, you play your bantam year, which is your um, eighth grade and your ninth grade um, school year. And then mm-hmm. you go into high school your 10th, 11th, 12th. Mm-hmm. And so coming into high school with um, three concussions um is not ideal it's not what you're looking for um out of a player but um i still um Mm -hmm. was able to play competitive varsity hockey right in my sophomore year and
0: um what why are the effects of concussions so significant with hockey is it the speed of the game the kind of reaction time reflexes yeah I,
1: i think it's um has a lot to do with the speed of the game it's just such a fast moving sport and um the players are so athletic and big and um you can be really athletic, but if you're my size, which is about five eight and a half five nine, you're gonna line up really well with other people's shoulders and so um <laughs> in Minnesota hockey you the skill level is you know very great, but also the physical sizes in Minnesota is huge and so um I was um <clears throat> excuse me I was lucky enough to play at the elite level in Minnesota high school hockey for varsity and um, um on a top line and that <clears throat> excuse me and that put me up against, per, you know, potential D1 professional hockey players. And so I remember my very first game in high school, I was going up against two defensemen that were six three, already drafted in the professional hockey league in my very first high school game. And so um, that, that kind of pressure and, um, and uh, size and, you know, athletic ability is definitely, I think, one of the key things of why so many concussions happen. It's just the skill level is so good, the physical size is so large, and then mm-hmm. you get people that... Could be, you know, great athletes, but just not physically big enough. And then just it's almost inevitable once you get that first one to just continue to go down the line.
0: Is there anything in hockey like the kind of concussion conversation that's happening around football? Like a couple of times this season, we've even kind of hinted at the notion. Could there be the point where because of concussions or related effects, like football simply is banned or Mm -hmm. just people stop putting their kids into it. I mean, is that kind of conversation happening around hockey as well?
1: Um, I think Mm -hmm. um, football definitely gets the brunt of the concussion talk, but I think um, hockey is a sport that could face problems as well with concussions. Um, I know growing up, when you get around 8th, ninth grade, people start getting concussions. Um, Checking becomes... Um, it, well, at least when we were playing hockey, you were start you started checking your peewee year. So, mm. um, and I believe they changed that rule now to bantams. Yeah. So you start checking when you're, eight, when you're in your eighth grade. So they tried to do that to allow kids to become equal in size. And they, you know, some people you know grow a little bit earlier. And so that was a um, move to try to protect. You know, the, and so I think if they continue to do things like that. Um, Concussions could maybe get reduced a little bit, but I think um, in high school hockey, uh, I just think hockey is one of those sports that it's concussions are inevitable. Um, There's hitting contact, just like football, almost every play, and um, there are just you know some people can can survive it and other people can't. And um, I just don't know what this the game can do to prevent that. Um, They've tried to um, implement you know different concussion helmets, mouth guards. Um, I bought the Messier. Concussion helmet. Um, when I was growing up, thinking that that was going to help me, and I got another two more concussions with that helmet. So, I mean, it's just one of those situations where you can try, and the technical with the growth of technology, who knows if a, con- a helmet can be implemented or a different design mouth guard that can really relieve some of that pressure on the brain. But um, I just, I just don't see the concussions lowering. But I, do I think it's going to impact the game? Um, no. I think the game is going to stay. I think um, the people who make it to the pros and the people who make it to college are the people who have survived the concussions and Mm -hmm. head injuries. And um, they're the physical athletes that have what it takes to get to the elite level. I think the concussions um, are for the players who um, aren't as physically superior aren't, aren't as athletic, aren't um, as um, – I don't want to say athletic because I, you can get a concussion just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So sure. I don't want to put, like, people who get concussions not athletic. But um, there is definitely a side of athleticism that, you know, to be able to move and, you know, be aware of the situations and that kind of side to athletic hockey.
0: So I mean I think what you're getting and starting to get at is what what's essential about hockey, what's distinct about it as a sport. And so Drew, if you want to talk about your transition, you know, how you stopped playing, feel free. But maybe I'll turn to you now to start teaching us like what is so attractive, what's so appealing about hockey, whether you're a player maybe now as as fans, and I take it at least some of it is this kind of neat combination of speed and collisions,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean and then the skill that goes with the Yeah. Team. Um so so for me one of my things kind of on a, a on a big level and less about the game and more about the system I really like things to be fair and I mm. like that the NHL has a strict salary cap. It mm. they have a limit and it's you know you can't you can't have a salary cap any higher than this and if you do they can terminate contracts, they can take away draft picks. So it's not just hey you have to pay a tax, it's hey this is where it cuts off. So I think right. that has done a really good job of keeping the league balanced because you can't hoard superstar players. Mm um from an actual kind of playing standpoint um again like you mentioned the speed is incredible um you know the hockey players are incredible athletes you have to be incredibly strong you have to be incredibly fast the endurance is remarkable um you know when when they look at the basically endurance of nhl players it's off the charts um in terms of short-term sprints um and i you know you have to think they're doing it on their skate you have to skate skating in itself is hard it's like relearning how to walk um and so I think there's a challenge to that um and we were we were actually talking um with Dr. Mulberry about how when you watch hockey in person it's a whole nother experience mm-hmm. you know you see how fast these guys are how big they are how strong they are and um I think it's just it's a very um kind of visceral experience to, to see it. Is that one of the things so.
2: you think hockey suffers from, is that compared to things, something like basketball, it doesn't translate nearly as well on te- television?
1: I think yeah. that could be a part of it. I mean, a lot of times it's it's tough to follow the puck when you're watching TV. Mm-hmm. You kind of lose, you know, the momentum of the game. It, it's just kind of, it is, the camera angles aren't perfect. And so I think it is, it does lose a little bit on the TV. Um, and I think that is maybe a part of it. It's not as you know football you can get right down there you can hear what the players are saying basketball sure. as well you can but i i think that could be a, a large part of it
4: yeah hmm. yeah for
0: sure well it's interesting you use the word visceral because that came up last week when we were talking i think especially to to sarah shady about she was talking about IndyCar. car when then she's like she said or maybe sam said there's something visceral, visceral yeah. about it at least part of what we talked about is that there is genuine danger <laughs> at all times like <laughs> yeah. i mean like, I mean, I think part of the conversation with hockey always has to do with fighting, that kind of violence. Mm-hmm. But there's also the kind of violence of... It's like the collisions of the NFL, except it's happening at much greater speeds mm-hmm. on a sheet of mm-hmm. ice, yep. right? And it's it's happening constantly. Like, exactly. the number of hits that take place in a hockey game are... Yeah. Or, I mean, so, like, do you ever have qualms with that? I mean, like, some of us do wrestle with, like, hey, we're watching the NFL, and it's based on just terrible violence. Yeah. Or, like... Well, sorry to talk about, like, someone might die in an cart race
1: at any mm-hmm. time.
4: Mm-hmm. I so actually one of the things they're really working on right now um to prevent concussions is that they're actually trying to phase fighting out of the game and it's been Mm -hmm. actually quite successful Mm -hmm. the amount of fights it's i mean i think the wild were a part of like maybe like three fights all year i mean they're just they're really phasing it out of the game by changing rules used to um courtesy used to be when you fought you would take off your helmet and then fight the other guy that way the other guy didn't punch your helmet and break his hand they change that. If you take your helmet off, you're going to get kicked out in a heartbeat and the refs won't Mm -hmm. even let you fight. So if you fight now, you have to be aware of, all right, I'm probably going to have to punch this guy's helmet five or six times. I might break three knuckles. And so that's one way that they highly have kind of discouraged that. Um, But I I do think that there can be definitely times, um, there are a couple of players in particular in the league who have kind of reputations of being um, not, the cleanest um at dirty yeah, yeah i think that's
2: right <laughs> there we go the very, right very, very
4: much so there's, there's a couple guys who have been suspended a remarkable mm-hmm. number of times and i think that one thing that the league should look at is into more um getting even stricter with that so mm. if a guy is clearly showing that he is not going to play clean and that he is you know he's and he's been suspended multiple times for the good of the game and for people's safety, I wonder if you have to start looking at just saying you can't play anymore um, at a point where you can't clean this up. And because I do, I do see definitely that. Because I think um, to say that it's it's problematic to watch a high paced game where people kind of know the risk, and I would say most of the time, aside from dirty hits. Um, uh, it, it's hard. It's hard. It's a complicated mm-hmm. question. Well, so I mean, it's, the inverse
2: question, yeah. Yeah. which is that um, in all other sports, there is occasional fighting in baseball. There's yeah. fighting in mm-hmm. football yeah. and basketball. But that seems like an aberration, whereas it was normatively part of hockey. Sure. Why did fighting become such a long part of the hockey tradition for so long?
4: Yeah. I mean, it it kind of started <laughs> that, that you have to go way back. Um, yeah. The culture of hockey is that you know movies like Slapshot. uh there's a movie like there's a movie called goon that came out a couple years ago Mm -hmm. but particularly in the mid kind of 1900s hockey was almost boxing on ice like that's what it was um you had you know a couple guys who could score goals you had a couple and i mean even up like i don't know if um there was a guy for the wild named Derek bugard who played and he died a couple years ago but his sole part he could hardly play hockey but his sole purpose was to fight, and yeah. so that was just a part of the game. That was what people came for.
0: What can I apologize there? Because I wonder when the enforcer is like a distinct, almost like specialty. Happened mm-hmm. because like my sense was there was a time when I don't know if it's still called the Gordy Howe hat trick. Yep. I mean, like, yes, like, it is. Yeah, a scorer was. He was not just the skilled player Gordy Howe, but he was also like he would regularly fight as yeah. part yeah. of that. And mm-hmm. I don't know if was yeah. he just an aberration in doing that, or did you actually get specialization where you yeah. had an enforcer to protect the skilled forwards. Who maybe yeah. a little bit smaller, sure. faster, and couldn't, you didn't yeah. want them to get in a fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. It also has a lot to do as well in the time when hockey was. No one wore helmets, and neither did the goalie. And so there, there, the enforcer kind of became a protector of the goalie. That if you shot, if you shot at the goalie's head, mm-hmm. you were going to get in a fight. Like there was a guy out there on the ice mm-hmm. that was there to protect your goalie. If you raised that puck past a certain line, that you know was just kind of a unwritten rule, um, you were going to have to pay the the price for that and then that kind of moved on when you got players like Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and these kind of transcendent yeah. skilled players on the ice you need someone to protect them because at mm. that time hockey there were guys that were going out there and had a sole purpose of let's try to see if we can get a huge hit and those enforcers in the 80s 70s were there to protect and that yeah. kind of never really went away.
0: So, I mean, a theme we had talked about a couple weeks ago and different, we were talking about officiating. And one idea that came up was, uh, to a certain degree in most sports, players actually self-police, right? I mean, like, there are different ways to do that. You can actually have a set of rules that try to take away these behaviors, and referees are going to enforce that. Or it could be players develop their own mechanisms to say we have unwritten rules, and if you violate this, here's going to be the consequence of it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what you do with dirty players. That's what you do to protect a Gretzky or a goalie without a helmet mm-hmm. on. Is that still largely true, or has that changed? And you actually got something more like, we're going to set up rules, use equipment. For- yeah.
4: That's that's a good question. There were, um, I think there were a lot of unwritten rules, but they're slowly phasing them out by making them rules. So, for example, one of the unwritten rules was if you were going to fight somebody, you took your helmet off. Mm-hmm. That was what you did. Wow. Um, and now, like I said, they changed it so you can't take your helmet off. Now, if in a fight you could pull the other guy's helmet off and that's okay, but they've, they've made it so you can't just take your helmet off. Um, another one is um, they used to, you know, people would, it was kind of frowned upon, but people would pull jerseys over guy's heads when they were mm-hmm. fighting. Um, but it, it was kind of it was kind of a low that was kind of what you would do if you thought you weren't going to win the fight and you kind of just needed something and so now they've actually added straps to jerseys that strap them to their pants and if they come if a jersey comes unbuckled and gets pulled over the head that player gets fined for not having their jersey strapped down right Mm -hmm. so um a couple of extra questions so i asked one quick i'm going to
0: ask for predictions before we go but I mean, I think one way I tend to think of pro hockey is it's got the smallest fan base, in a sense, but it also has the deepest, most committed fan base, and yeah. especially at Stanley Cup season. Like, I mean, it's not just the intensity of the players, but the intensity of the fan experience. Um, So as hockey fans, um, do you wish there were more hockey fans? Or is it actually like you kind of enjoy the fact like this is not really for the casual fan. I mean, this is for people who are deeply committed to the sport, understand all these nuances, appreciate the strategy, love a triple overtime Stanley Cup game. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. do you kind of like it being the size it is, or do you wish it actually reached a mass audience?
4: Well, so I I think there's kind of two ways to go to it. Um, on, On one hand, I'd love to see the sport continue to grow um and i think that's that's probably where i land so i'll, I'll start with the kind of the other way it is, there is something cool about being so passionately committed to something and having it be such a, a strong fan base um you know going to a wild game and wild fans have a reputation of almost being bad fans because they know the game so well they're they're less there to be fanatics than they are there to just be like oh this is a great hockey game like mm-hmm. this is this is very connoisseurs. Kind of yeah, yeah exactly and so it's it's and so I think that, that part, there's something cool about that, but at the same time, um, you know, you look at like Nashville, you their hockey team didn't really mean anything to them until last couple years, and all of a sudden they made the playoffs, and it's like, we're going to have a country music superstar sing the national anthem at every game, we're going to have this absolutely insane event on Broadway before every game, we're going to bring mm-hmm. out cars that you can smash, they adopted mm-hmm. the name Smashville um and you watch those games on tv and you almost can't hear the announcers because the crowd is so loud it's just an amazing atmosphere and i think that the the fan of me and the lover of the game wants to see it grow and expand
1: Hmm. yeah Yeah. I, i agree um i think when i was playing hockey and when i was younger i liked the fact that it was kind of a intimate sport and that it wasn't this huge grand thing and there was you know, there was no Showtime team, and there was no Lakers, there was no Patriots, it was kind of just, and we talked about this a lot, like, any team can win in the NHL, there's not really a lot of dynasties, even though the Kings and the Mm -hmm. Blackhawks had a couple good years there, but I mean, like, overall, really, any team, once you get to playoff season, any team can win, and, um, but then, as, like, the, and I kind of liked how, like, you had the the people, true fans knew who those, you know, those players were, and all that Mm kind of stuff, but... As I've seen the league grow and I've seen Nashville and Las Vegas and how the fans have adopted it and really just done what like they, they're fantastic. And, the, and also the hockey's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so seeing not only the fans embrace hockey in states that you really don't expect hockey to be popular in, Not only are the fans embracing it, but the hockey is amazing, and and the skill level is great. I mean, Minnesota doesn't have a team in the playoffs right now. We may be the state of hockey, but we're not in the playoffs, and we've never won a Stanley Cup, even with the North Stars. So teams like Florida have.
0: So as we run out of time, Logan, you said any team can win. So I want your prediction. Which team is going to win? And before
2: you offer your prediction, let me just note that my eighth seeded Columbus Blue Jackets. Now I'm actually a Red Wings fan. Yeah, (laughs) Detroit's (laughs) hockey town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but they didn't make the playoffs available. this year, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm glommed on mm-hmm. my Columbus Blue Jackets, and uh, they've they upset the top-seeded Tampa Bay Lightning. So yes, tell have. me why the Blue Jackets are going to win the Stanley Cup?
4: <laughs> well, I think uh, Drew actually, should start. So i <laughs> I actually was going to say Columbus. Yes, um, it's it's interesting. There's there's actually a precedent of teams who are the best in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the better they are, the more likely they are to lose. Hmm. Um, One of the most famous coaches of all time, Scotty Bowman. Yeah, I'm familiar. (laughs) He talks about how his three best teams in history, his three best teams never won the Stanley Cup. Hmm. And so I think there's a precedent for that. But for me, Columbus, I think they're the epitome of anything can happen in the playoffs. They made a bunch of moves at the trade deadline, and they put together a really good team, but things just didn't click, and they squeaked into the playoffs. But I think they figured things out, and I think that the depth on their roster, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs. And I... I think the West is is weaker this year, mm-hmm. and so I think Columbus, if they can uh, take the Bruins this next series, I think that they've got a really good chance to win it all.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, so. yeah, Logan? All right, I'm going to go with uh, the St. Louis Blues. Um, I think that they've been the hottest team um, before the playoffs, coming into the playoffs, and I think that that, I think confidence is huge when you get to this part of the season, and um, they're, they're a young team, they have a rookie goalie, but, um, I mean, it's it's happening. you know rookie goalies have done well before I, I i know it's there's gonna be a lot of pressure and he's gonna have to face challenges that he's never experienced before and um the pressure of you know the future but um i re- i think the blues they're the hottest team right now in the league in my opinion and i think that they're gonna continue to arrive that confidence wave
0: okay you heard it here first or, or maybe like sixth or seventh <laughs> <to> at this point <laughs> we're, we're around it but uh, drew logan thanks for educating us about hockey we look thank forward you, to the rest of the stanley cup us. and we'll be yeah. back to wrap up episode 12 in just a second
3: well i went down to the local arena asked to see the manager man he came from Get in touch with the 252 by emailing us at live fromac2nd at gmail.com. I want to be the best
2: that ever was. To beat all the rest. Yeah, that's
1: my cause.
3: Electro Dinglet, Nidoran, Mankey, Venusaur Tanta, Phil Pinky, King, Joldeon, Dragonite, Gaslet. Only time for Boreon, Polyrath Butterfree.
0: Catch him, catch him, gotta catch ball. I'll search across the land. As always, we're running short on time. So quickly, three to C for the coming weekend. Sam, kick us off.
3: April 25th to 27th is the NFL draft. Not exactly a sporting event, but one of the biggest events in sports. <laughs> but it is, yeah. Yeah, uh, so the first pick belongs to the Arizona Cardinals, who are looking to take Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers have the second pick, and at this point, it looks like they're projected to take Ohio State defensive lineman Nick Bosa. Oh, H. Uh, Our hometown—I'm not going to finish that for (laughs) you—our hometown Minnesota Vikings hold the 18th pick, and are projected—I'm looking at different mocks—to take either offensive or defensive line, one of the two. Mm -hmm. Sure.
0: Uh, I'll go back to the world's largest continent for the 2019 Badminton Asia Championships, which wrap up Sunday in Wuhan. While host China has won more Olympic medals in badminton than the next two countries combined, the number one seats in men's singles and women's doubles are from Japan, and the top men's doubles team comes from Indonesia.
2: There are four international championships in the yearly Pokemon circuit. Oh, <laughs> Come on, stay with me here. And the European Championships are this weekend in Estrel Berlin Congress Center in Berlin, Germany. A strong performance in Berlin will be necessary to keep pace in the point standings uh, leading to the American Championships in Columbus, Ohio Hmm. in June. Keep an eye on Cedric DeRoshi, because he's my friend. Gotta catch them all. I think we're going to have to come back to this question of what is the sport <laughs> next
0: week on what I think is going to be our season one finale. So yes. uh, we're going to do a lot of things. I think kind of look back over the first uh, the first season of the show, talk about how we're thinking about the course. I thought it's also a chance maybe, like fans, if you have ideas, like if there's something we have not yet talked about that you want us to talk about and do like a quick hit on, let us know. So you can email us at live from second at gmail.com. You can leave a comment at the Live from AC Second Facebook page maybe once this episode goes up. So if you just have been dying for us to break down something or talk about some controversial question, this is your last chance, at least for this season. I think we're going to be back in the fall, maybe even in the summer for one episode or two. So we'll yeah, have other shots at let's it. Let's do it. All right, good episode, guys. We're going to end the season's drawing. Chris, finish us off.
2: On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, um, keep those f- drives down the middle of the fairway. We'll talk to you soon. Go Royals. <laughs>